Hi, and welcome to episode 203 of the Untethered Podcast. Today we have Dr. Yousefian joining us. Dr. Yousefian graduated from Washington University with postgraduate training in orthodontics with a dual master of science degree in biology and physical anthropology at The Ohio State University. He's a diplomat of the American Board of Dental Sleep Medicine and Orthodontics and has a private practice in Bellevue, Washington. He's collaborated with several NIH-funded clinical trials on the airway open bite and TMJ disorders. He has served as a clinical assistant professor at Ohio State University and the University of Washington in graduate pedodontics and orthodontics. He is He's currently a guest lecturer at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. He's a manuscript and book reviewer for several publishing companies, including the Permanente Journal and CRC Press Taylor and Francis Group. He's a lecturer nationally and internationally. He's served on Children Airway Screening Task Force in collaboration with American Dental Association, American Orthodontic Association, American Academy of Sleep Medicine, American Academy of Pediatrics, and several other medical and dental organizations. He has contributed over 30 publications in peer-reviewed journals and 12 textbooks. Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Balkin. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. Dr. Yosefian, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I would love to jump in and have you share. I know they just heard your bio, but I want you to share from in your own words, you know, what prompted you to become an orthodontist and at what point did you get involved in sleep medicine? Well, uh, when I was growing up, this issue of the medicine and uh, always was very attractive to me. And uh, when I grew up a little bit more, six, seven, eight, ten, I noticed that I'm very, very good with my hands. And, you know, I was more attracted to build things, do, you know, make Legos and cut things and make the, you know, uh, smallest sculpture. So, enjoyed working with my hand <clears throat> and then again the issue of the joining the uh, medicine and somehow getting involved with medicine uh, it was a concept for me and now that I'm good with my hand and I enjoy that and then the issue of the dentistry or medicine came which one so they told me that if you go to medicine well if you want to work with your hand mostly is going to be probably uh, surgeries. (laughs) (laughs) So it was at the time, I I was not very keen to just jump into the surgeries. So dentistry was also, it was very attractive at the time. So becoming a dentist, that was, uh, I joined dentistry and started dental school. And then amongst everything else that I was observing at the time, meaning surgery, dentistry, restorative dentistry, this concept of moving teeth, think this concept of structure that we think that is permanent there and you cannot move it and you're gradually moving it and how reshaping the uh, mouth of the patient and jaw of the patient became very, very attractive. 
at the same time, wire bending, moving teeth, and everything that else that comes came with it, that um, attracted me to the science. So that's how I joined orthodontic. And how lucky I am because it's fun to do what you can find it as your hobby and enjoy it too. So that's how you know I found this science. And I'm glad that I did that. <laughs> And then with, were you in the sleep medicine side of it, though, pretty early on, or did that come later? Yeah, the, the issue of the uh, sleep medicine, it was a necessity in life. So at the time, um, you know, I always was fascinated with the, when I started the orthodontics and doing orthodontics, uh, I didn't want to have a large practice, I wanted to do one at the time, you know, and uh, one-to-one -one contact, uh, you know, with my patient. And gradually, I was in the area that was very, very saturated with orthodontists. So as a result of that, uh, I had to do whatever that I could get my hand on complex cases that nobody else wants to do that. And then start the TMJ case patients were suffering from the TMJ headaches, jaw pain that started coming. And then gradually that build up the reputation that if you want to, um, uh, you know, if you have somebody that, uh, that has the issues with this pain and discomfort, uh, you know, Joseph Yusefian, it seems that uh, has some developed some expertise in it. So um, I think that gradually I was getting more and more complex cases. Yeah. And of course, uh, about 15, 20 years ago, the concept of the sleep apnea, and also uh, it was uh, kind of something that it was coming to the arena of dentistry. The concept of the uh, sleep apnea and how the environment of the mouth and jaws and behind the airway, they have so pro uh, close proximity and how the sleep apnea is generated and uh, how dentistry it can uh, you know work with this population of patients and our work how is impacting the area of the patient, especially an adult patient that I was seeing at the time as a TMJ patient uh, that was attractive. I started treating those, but the concept of the pediatric sleep apnea was something that uh, at that time was not uh, so much talking about. And nobody was mentioning it and bringing it up uh, too much on the lecture tickets. So, and then suddenly uh, I noticed some changes that is happening on my son. And the only child that uh, I have is growing and has signs and symptoms of the uh, problem. And hopefully we are going to have a chance to you know, talk about it later. So that, and the uh, significant problems that uh, was happening to his life and his health, uh, it created a necessity that I need to research it because doctors, they couldn't find out why, you know, he wakes up in the middle of the night and comes to our bed and uh, why he cannot sleep, why he wakes up, why he clinch and grind. So as a result of that, I have to work hard and do some research. And then I noticed that, yeah, in, uh, in early childhood, sleep apnea is going to show up like this and has these symptoms. 
So then because of that, it was not a job. It was goal of the life because I have to save my son because my only son was suffering from this and nobody else knew how to do it. So I made contacts and uh, among those contacts, when I was lecturing, uh, my mentor late, uh, unfortunately he's passed away, Dr. Gimino, we got uh, opportunity to lecture together. And he opened up my eyes to the idea of sleep, which I was already incorporating in my office and also uh, uh, how it impacts the pediatric population. So that's how I started working on this. And of course, it was very bumpy road. Very, you know, at the time, we were whispering about it because, um, but later, I'm glad now is something that everybody is talking about. It. That's how I got involved with the you know, sleep medicine. Yeah. The necessity that I had to do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear this time and time again that so many providers whether it's, you know, an orthodontist, a dentist, speech pathologist, myo, feeding, you know, tetheral tissue release provider, everybody seems to kind of fall into these arenas when we have our own kids and they kind of throw us down that rabbit hole of figuring out how do we help our own children? <laughs> so that's I think that's, you know, you've been doing this a long, longer than I have than some of my colleagues have. Um, and I think it's really commendable because I know that it's, it's not an easy road now. So I can only imagine how much harder it was when you initially started this and there was all that whispering with <laughs> how do we best help these children? Yeah. How early do you start working with children? Like what age? Uh, well, the thing is that that's something that gradually, gradually got more and more intense because at the time that uh, we discovered this issue for my son, he was about six, seven, eight. So, um, and then the focus now is on you know, at that age, you know, earlier, you know, uh, orthodontic, uh, what we call the field, always talk about the starting the first age, starting orthodontic treatment for children is seven. So considering that, that, all right, we see the patient at early at age seven, so we need to start working on them the first time that we, you know, age seven, eight, so that was the, uh, again, uh, concept for me for, for a period of time. But again, Dr. Gimino brought something else to my attention because in one of the lectures that I remember that in uh, Santa Barbara, uh, we were lecturing together and uh, I mentioned this on the, uh, when I was lecturing and I mentioned that as orthodontists, we start at age seven and that's probably is recommended at that age. And then um, after the lecture, very, very nicely and you know, in fun way, he put, brought it to my attention that especially the ADD, ADHD, that it can happen as one of the side effects of the disease. If by any chance uh, we can get into it early, we can reverse the condition versus if it stays around and linger around a little bit longer, the chance of becoming a permanent situation and how impacting the you know, life of the patient is, you know, is important. Now, of course, at the time, the problem was that we did not have the instrumentation. We didn't have the knowledge. 
I mean, pediatric dentists, they were lucky that they see this patient at age two, three, and they're used to handling uh, this patient early on. But at the same time, um, you know, uh, for as orthodontists, it's hard, the concept of, well, seven-year-old patient is difficult to manage, but then now you're getting to five, four, three. So as a necessity, now I need to have, I had to develop the instrumentation and the concept that we can use it on these early um, uh, um, young children, meaning that as soon as they have dentition, age two or three, and they have the you know, capability of handling, being around their mouth and working on them, that's how soon we are going to start if they have a sleep apnea. If they don't have a sleep apnea and the sign and side effect of the small jaw, we just wait and treat it as orthodontic approach. But if they have a sleep apnea that creates a red flag and necessity to get in one way or another as an interdisciplinary group to work with each other. And now, uh, of course, as orthodontist, my earliest age that I'm going to show a case on that is about two and a half, three years old. That's the youngest patient that we currently have and they're coming from Houston. But at the same time, uh, uh, to work on this population of patients, I, I learned that when I hear that so-and-so, my patient has also younger brother or sister, sibling, that has such a problem as breastfeeding maybe is a problem or breathing or they cannot breathe. So I learned my lesson that I work, start working with the more functional therapies or feeding you know, coaches that they are familiar with this and then um, make the referral to them. So they start working on those because the patient doesn't have teeth or they have very limited number of teeth. It's just anterior front teeth that I cannot do that much uh, with it. So uh, start working with my functional therapists and they can work on this population of patients and start training them the way that they do it like specialists like yourself. And, and then when the dentition, uh, it is more uh, kind of a deciduous dentition and it's complete, then is the time that if by any chance uh, still they're suffering from the problem, previous training or work of the my functional therapist did not improve it, then uh, I can get in and do start my early orthodontic treatment. So that's the way that I handle it. That's fantastic. And it's, it's a topic that I know we love to hear about and we love to hear more, um, especially orthodontists saying that seven is no longer early, right? We need to be backing it up even more. Um, and I've been very grateful to have both of my kids in early orthodontics. Um, both of them started at age four and mm -hmm. part of it was because of pandemic timing. Part of it was just, that's when I fell into it with my first and um, but the health changes for them have been incredible. And then myself as an adult with ADHD, who just had the full-blown nasal surgery, uh, April of last year after going through or trying to go through adult expansion, having had expansion when I was younger, my mom was told, you know, I had ADHD when I was in preschool, she took me to three different people to assess me and didn't medicate me, but 
you know, I struggled to feed as an infant. You know, it's, it's been there. I had a tongue tie. It's been there since day one. Right. So I, you know, I'm the patient. I had two more patients <laughs> and, and, you know, I can appreciate this, but I, I love, um, like I said, I just love to hear it from an orthodontist perspective. That's right. So, yeah. So, and, and I think that the best, uh, the best, uh, experience is to have the opportunity somebody in the family member that is right next to you and is growing up and you think that this is a kind of distance uh, problem yeah it's happening to patient i don't suffer but then you yourself you are involved with it and you suffer it and or your child is suffering from this this is the best way of experimenting with this and learning about it because the concept is right in front of you every day and you see it's not like orthodontic case, they go and come back in two or three months or, you know, but there you see them every day and that's the opportunity. Yeah, no, it's, it's incredible. Um, and I know we're going to, you're going to share some patient cases and I don't know if you want to talk about this first or if this will be embedded within that, but I would love to talk a bit, go a bit deeper on the issues um, with growth and development of the jaws and how that, you know, I talk about how a lot of this impacts feeding on my end, but I'm curious to see what you see on your end as well um, and how these early treatment issues then, you know, alter or I guess pot positively change malocclusion. You know, I had one daughter um, with a crossbite, another one who actually had a very, very deep bite and had croup nine times last year, history of airway issues since birth, um, upper respiratory, all the things. And then, you know, we talk about the, the vertical growth, the gummy smile, all that fun stuff. So, um, like I said, maybe you'll, you'll cover these things sure. in your, your cases, but I would love for you to talk a bit about that. So the, <clears throat> the issue of that, how early we need to start and how early the problem, uh, start is actually intrauterus, meaning that fetus, you know, uh, when still in, even you know, in the third trimester of the pregnancy, the problem can develop right there. Because now the science shows that there are a lot of um, issues there that uh, in mother during pregnancy that uh, you know, they can impact the growth and development of children. So these are multifactorial. One of them is the uh, not sufficient or iron deficiency that mom suffers from that during the pregnancy. So the iron deficiency, it is going to create some issues with the growth and development of the muscles in general. And then uh, eventually uh, by impacting the myoglobulin, which is the, you know, the component of the building the muscles, uh, if the uh, iron deficiency is there and continue through the pregnancy, then these are the patients that they can have some hypotonia of the muscles in general. And the research shows that also it can impact the, uh, uh, what we call the uh, muscles that they are around face, especially orbicularis, orbicularis oris, that is very, very important for sucking. So their research, again, based on the research, uh, you know, this population of patients suffering from the iron deficiency or the premature babies, that they have a high percentage of the hypotonia. These are the patients that they become, you know, they have more tendency than usual to become mouth breeders. 
And then uh, there are some other issues like vitamin D deficiency also that we know that it is a pandemic right now because of the vitamin D deficiency and uh, a lot of uh, pregnant uh, moms around the world, they suffer from the vitamin D deficiency and iron deficiency. So vitamin D deficiency also has an important factor on the growth and development of the bones. So, um, and patient or uh, mom that is suffering from that, it is not unusual that, uh, you know, the newborn, it is going to start developing some bony problems, some structural problems, skeletal uh, problems because of the vitamin D deficiency. And also uh, both uh, iron and vitamin D, they have important impact on the growth and development of the uh, cranial nerves. So early on, when uh, this population of patients, especially premature ones, when they are uh, growing, they're born and growing, so that uh, the development of the cranial nerves, they're going to be impacted. It can impact them systemically. Uh, rickets is, you know, is one of the most severe form of the uh, vitamin D deficiency. But then it can impact also the, uh, what, uh, the growth and development of the jaws of the patient. Because uh, if pa if patient has hypotonia in general, especially in the area of our expertise, you know, mouth, lips, muscles, they don't have the strength that they can, for example, you know, for um, breastfeeding, it is going to be impacted. Um, starting chewing harder food is going to be a little bit uh, more difficult. And it starts with breastfeeding there. And of course, is a multifactorial problem. Even when patient, when uh, mom is suffering from uh, sleep apnea herself, the lack of proper oxygenation during that time, especially for um, pregnant ladies or moms that they are kind of gaining a little bit more uh, weight during pregnancy, and they develop some transitional, uh, 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 what we call the hypoxia because of the transitional uh, sleep apnea that they're suffering during pregnancy, especially the last trimester, the hypoxia, it can impact on the growth and development of the jaws of the uh, newborn and fetus even. So, of course, this is the animal research, but the research has shown that when they tried to create the experimental uh, hypoxia in uh, uh, baby mouse and you know rats, and they made a group of normal uh, breeding uh, group of the you know uh, baby rats and the ones that they created uh, kind of uh, hypoxia, you know experimental hypoxia although it was alternate, they noticed that uh, the ones that they suffer from hypoxia, they had more tendency to have a smaller jaw. So these are growth and, and we don't know, or I'm not aware of the research that right now shows that um, how it impact the human, uh, you know, newborns. But we know at this point, the science shows that in animal, 
at least in rats, hypoxia, it can create some growth and developmental problems. So these are the things that really we need to get into it a little bit earlier, especially if we see a sibling that is in our treatment and we see some signs and symptoms. For example, they have narrow jaws. And we, we call it um, genetic. Uh, genetically, narrow jaws in some families, they have narrow jaw. But now we are getting um, understanding the concept that is not genetic only is epigenetic environmental factor. And that epigenetic, as I mentioned, start talking about it, starts in intrauterus in the second or the third trimester. And if we can consult and communicate with mom that is pregnant and bringing her four to six-year-old you know, son or daughter to us to treat uh, you know, sleep apnea or constricted arches is not a bad idea as a as a, you know, kind of sharing the idea because as orthodontist, I cannot make the diagnosis for pregnant mom that you need to check this or check this. But if you bring there to their attention that based on our experience, the narrow jaw of you know, Billy, for example, is not just genetic and uh, is the also epigenetic. What mom is suffering right now, maybe tra transitional, uh, you know, uh, sleep apnea, you know, uh, if they have it, uh, if mom has it or any iron deficiency, vitamin deficiency, calcium deficiency, we can advise or recommend that it's not a bad idea, check on that and talk to your obstetrician and they check on that and see that, uh, you know, maybe, uh, the you know the new or you know um, fetus mom is pregnant maybe we can prevent this even further even more more ahead of time and then you know they are born and then now they have this deficiency so because uh, uh, again I was talking about these narrow jaws and small jaws because uh, the other issue is the uh, the issue of uh, vitamin D deficiency. Of course, in severe cases, that is short of becoming disease like rickets disease. But those uh, vitamin D deficiency also, the science shows that it can impact the growth and development of the jaws, and uh, especially maxilla or upper jaw of the patient. So this population of patients hypothetically born with the vitamin D, D deficiency, although uh, you know, in most of the advanced uh, or civilized part of the world, uh, you know, they fortified the, um, uh, you know, the uh, baby food and uh, formula even, they add the vitamin D and iron and some other um, possible missing components, but they need to understand that. And they don't assume that automatically, you know, baby is going to get that. We encourage, uh, uh, breastfeeding and how important is the breastfeeding uh, for um, growth and development of the uh, jaws and baby and getting the uh, nutrition from mom but mom needs to have enough of those nutrients in uh, blood including uh, oxygen proper oxygenation proper vitamin d c and the rest of these so they can feed the baby in the other hand, the breastfeeding that we are encouraging 
for the growth and development of the jaws, if the vitamins are not or nutrients are not in it, actually becomes a problem. <laughs> so this is not just one issue. It is the issue of the starting uh, breastfeeding, encouraging breastfeeding, and also we should be sure that mom is healthy enough that can do that. And then, of course, I mentioned about being multifactorial, the issue of the tongue tie that you brought it up earlier also is another concept. Because for a long, long time, it was something unknown to orthodontists. Why do we pay attention to tongue tie? And why is it important? Not the science, and especially obstetricians and uh, midwives, they understand that maybe you know, uh, in the last trimester, the tongue start gradually separating from the floor of the mouth and raising to the roof of the mouth. And it's very important because the tongue raising to the roof of the mouth is very important for growth and development of the maxilla. So it is noticed and it is uh, reported in literature that uh, babies or um, uh, fetuses, fetus at the third trimester, when they suffer from the, these tongue tie issues, when they are born, even intrauterus with system, they can see that the jaw of this or the mandible, the maxilla of this patient is already, you know, constricted. And when they are born, become, you know, obvious that they have, and the research shows that they have a little bit narrower upper jaw, especially upper jaw uh, than normal. So those are the things that is going to be prevent preventative and if you're talking to our patients, again, we have a patient six, seven years old and is suffering from the tongue tie. How early we can in, uh, you know, uh, intercept this if mom is pregnant, we bring it up that how important is the tongue tie and educate the family that, yeah, this, we don't need to do the surgery necessarily, but my functional therapists, sometimes they can uh, you know, encourage you know, stretch this uh, uh, ligament, sublingual, uh, frenulum, and avoid the surgeries. But if it happens at birth for the siblings that, you know, mom is pregnant with, they need to be aware of it that right away, they need to do the, you know, um, clipping of the tongue tie. And of course, I think that it becoming rule in some countries, like Brazil, I know that is a rule that definitely you know, any tongue tie uh, baby is born, they need to right away do it. Of course, in the United States, the awareness is coming more and more, and that's something that they do more often. So that's a good, great preventative that, so to answer your question, how, how early we start? <laughs> we just start writing intrauterus and we go for I love that. No, and it's, it, yeah, I, I keep saying, I, I hope for the day that the U.S. catches up with Brazil with the universal tongue tie screenings at birth, because, you know, my first, my daughter's was missed until she was 24 months. I became educated in it and I diagnosed it. You know, my second one, I knew right when I latched her in the hospital and, and in my course in Feed the Peds, I talk, I teach OTs and SLPs about this. We talk about the in utero development, the gestational ages at which different tissues are formed and when the, you know, apoptosis should happen with the frenum, you know, lip, tongue. And, and that's really these babies we find, at least in, in our textbooks, tell us that they're swallowing around two and a half, 12 and a half weeks in euro, right at the end of that, you know, first trimester um, with the 
the swallow they're going to be born with. And so if those, you know, those, that cell death did not happen with those frenula, we now have a baby who's already had this issue for quite some time. It's not just brand new when they, you know, when they're, they're born, they come out the birth can, you know, canal or mama's belly. Um, so I think it's a really great conversation to be highlighting because it's, it's there and it starts early. And we, like you said, these, the tongue, if it can't rest properly in the maxilla is not going to, you know, form the maxilla properly. And we have a whole other host of structural um, issues, which I don't treat, but we do work with those, you know, with infant toddler feeding with the soft tissue structures. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating because sometimes we do have those babies who are headed for a, a tethered oral tissue release. Um, and we're still working on the orofacial structures to help prep them for that. But then on the flip side, we sometimes have some that mimic a tongue tie because they're, they they have such interesting tension patterns and compensations already in place at birth that sometimes when we get in there and we do work with the soft tissue, we're able to relax, you know, everything and, and they can improve feeding. And so, like you said, not everybody actually needs a release per se, but there are those who do. And yeah, I just, I think we need to be talking about this more and looking at it at birth, in the hospital, at home, wherever you're birthing the baby, like somebody needs to be doing that screening. So I, I really um, appreciate you bringing that up. It is important because uh, the other subject that you were talking about, myotonia of the, you know, orbicularis oris or patient that is born and, you know, uh, not even without the, you know, nasal congestion, they, they just become mouth breathers because orbicularis oris, it doesn't have enough tone to close and this population of patients, they suffer from the, again, lack of vitamin D or, uh, you know, um, iron, they cannot bring their lips together, like Down syndrome, uh, you know, patient or patient that are premature or they have hypotonia or muscular dystrophy. So those are the ones that, because we know that um, uh, mouth breathing, it can be hand in hand with the early development of a sleep apnea or upper airway resistance syndrome. So the, uh, and then of course, uh, you know, when they get to the, uh, uh, you know, older, they now started getting their teeth and dentition. Now it becomes something that orthodontists and the art and science of orthodontics that it becomes, you know, uh, uh, what we call uh, crucial to get the comfortable and, you know, start on these cases. Although our uh, great colleagues, pedodontists, now they are getting to the idea of early orthodontics also. So they are the ones that also they're going to be in frontier line to treat this population of patients. So as a result of that, again, as I, as I mentioned, based on the experience and uh, uh, again, um, hit and miss, and uh, we developed the uh, uh, science or approach that it is going to start early treatment. So, and there are some, a lot of ideas that about the development of the jaws and uh, how to grow the jaws early. Again, my functional therapy is the best thing that we can do. And early uh, start of the, you know, um, solid food for the baby, you know, feeding them with the solid food um, and be sure that even they, you know, they gum their food and, you know, they chew banana or anything that is soft enough because that is going to uh, develop the growth and the, uh, you know, jaws. The harder the food, you know, uh, it is as long as it doesn't hurt their gums, 
and you know playing with their mouth and you know sucking on their blanket or these are all uh, call, uh, develops the uh, neuro what we call muscular uh, what we call development and the jaws and muscles and tone the muscles so and now what about if you see the patient that already is too late they have a small jaw and uh, now as orthodontics we need to do something about it so um, Kelly, I think that that's the part that I like to you know, share some maybe cases. And... Yeah. yeah, so I'll let you give you a moment to pull those up. And anybody who um, is listening to this, you can also view it on our on the YouTube channel. And we always link we always link that and have everything connected to the show notes as well at the untetheredpodcast.com because I'm sure these will be fabulous cases to, to view. Sure. Of course, these are the cases that we have the permission to you know, share their information. So, for example, uh, this is a patient uh, that uh, uh, the, you know, has been already diagnosed with the sleep apnea. And uh, one of the issues that uh, we need to understand is the interdisciplinary treatment. And this is not something that orthodontists, they want to take over, you know, just individually or just as orthodontists. The uh, orthodontists or clinicians that they want to work with this uh, population of patients or early treatment of a sleep apnea or functionality of the mouth, they need to be open-minded and they need to expand their area of expertise, meaning that they should be comfortable to work with ENT, they should be comfortable to work with the sleep doctor. So, and a sleep doctor, you know, diagnosed this patient with the sleep apnea and it's kind of a more severe form for his age, but at the same time, doesn't have any adenoids or tonsils. So now we need to be aware of this, that, you know, if by any chance at this age, two and a half years old, Although you see that, you know, the jaws are not significantly narrow. The upper palate, you see that is a little bit narrow. Although in our uh, understanding as orthodontists, we don't call this necessarily very narrow. But then is the, is, I just don't, you know, I don't rely on the measurements or linear measurements because is the ratio, you know, in my understanding is that the ratio of the size of the tongue versus the arch the arch width meaning that and you see it here a little bit here that the tongue it seems that is barely is fitting in the you know between the arches so patient has a little bit not that his tongue is large is the arches are narrow for his uh, uh, you know uh, size of the tongue so and then on the other thing that we know that on the other side of the palate is the nasal cavity so we used to think that, okay, what we see is palate is wide, patient has enough spacing, well, the primary spaces are there, we have ample spaces in the lower one. And what do we do with these cases? Because what do you want to expand? You know, uh, but now we know that if we don't expand the jaw of these patients, what happens is that the tongue does not have room and you see uh, barely in this area, if, if you can see the, uh, uh, the arrow here. Mm -hmm. So does not have tonsil and the uh, tonsil or adenoid and the airway is narrow and the result, the cause of it is, although he's not biting completely done, 
is because of the tongue doesn't have room and is pushing back to the airway. And I'm going to show you the airway of the patient, how small it is. So this is a educated ENT that now that doesn't have the opportunity to get the adenoid or tonsil out, then refer the patient to orthodontist or pedodontist. So now we need to be also aware of the fact that this population of uh, instrumentation, they call it myofunctional appliances, that we, before we didn't pay attention to them, but these are important, especially for this population of patients, because one of the things that we need to do with them is that make them nasal bitter. So this is a perfect time that when they come to the practice, start with this, gain the trust from you know, their trust. So don't jump in and put expander in their mouth because then they are on age two, uh, two, three, four. So it's going to be a little bit overwhelming. We need to have their acceptance and permission before we go and do something uh, fixed in their mouth. So this is a removable. And uh, at meanwhile, my functional therapist still can work with the patient to develop the tone, muscle, uh, neuromuscular tone of the muscles. These appliances stay with patient two or three uh, months. And also is going to be a good prevention for the next stage of treatment, because now we start expanding the jaws. And it start with the lower one, because the uh, lower one, the lower arch is not going to be skeletal expansion because mandible is one piece. The mid symphysial uh, joint at age one is already closed. So although I'm going to show you cases that we can open it, but at this age, you know, this is the expander that we developed. It's very easy bonded. Now we have a printed form of this that is much, much easier, but they don't need, this is uh, the, uh, the appliance, this is, uh, is, is called Apnomed expander system that SML makes and is available to you know, everybody else. But you can use even banded, uh, you know, if they can use the small band on the expander, this makes it easy because everything is bonded and you know, easy to install. But if they can ask the patient to bite on the band and band it, that's another option. So we start expansion of the lower jaw very gradually. And then that takes about two or three months because it's going to be dental expansion, meaning one turn, um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we take the uh, weekends off. So it gradually develop the lower arch. And then now we see that uh, you can, uh, Haley, you can uh, notice that how wider is the lower uh, arch compared to the you know, upper arch of the patient. So definitely lower one is wider than the upper. Now, remember I mentioned to you earlier start of those myofunctional appliances, you know, there are different type of it, early start, early start um, um, myobrace, there are different kind of it. And wearing them at nighttime, it is going to help not breaking these appliances because the population of patient uh, that they have a sleep bruxism, a sleep apnea, you know, they are heavy clincher and grinders. The science shows that uh, grinding and clinching uh, is uh, in children, almost 100% is airway related. In adults, not 100%. When they clinch and grind, it can be psychological. It can be function of the masticatory system that is not right, malocclusion and sleep apnea. But in children, we know that 
almost 100% of these patients that they have clinching and groining, they have a sleep apnea also. So they, they wear the myofunctional appliance, so they don't break the appliance. Now we start with the upper one. So this is another uh, uh, you know, uh, abnormal expander system for upper one is the bonded one. And then this is a rapid because now we have, we are dealing with two pieces of maxilla that we need, we can do it rapid expansion, meaning that twice a day expansion for about a week or two, and significantly is going to, you know, in a matter of two or three weeks, significantly we expand the maxilla and mandible of patient. And we understand that on the other side of the maxilla, of course, is nasal cavity. Remember in earlier, I mentioned uh, to you that why do we expand the palate of the patient when it's almost okay? Well, the reason is that when we expand the palate, we expand the nasal cavity. And that's the beautiful thing that we can do to, you know, because another concept that uh, it is important and is called sterling phenomenon, meaning that if he understands that um, back to the uh, X-ray of the patient, so it's a physiolog uh, physiological law and a mechanical law that you know if you have a very stiff tube, nasal, and we have the flexible tube, pharyngeal muscles and environment, and then the suction of the air by uh, you know lungs, the narrower this stiff tube is, which is nasal area the more collapsible this flexible tube is going to be. So it is not just a matter of getting the mouth wider, but is making the nasal cavity wider. Because if you make the nasal cavity wider, so the sterling phenomenon that we call is going to be bypassed. So the degree of the collapse of the airway is going to be much, much reduced. And of course, it's a multifactorial. And uh, I, have, uh, I have introduced a classification which is good for the uh, orthodontist and dental community, meaning that constriction of the nasal cavity behind the palate, behind the tongue and below the tongue. So we need to start from the nares and from the nasal cavity and expand that. So the upper expander is orthopedic expander, expand the upper one. And then of course, expansion of the mouth is going to create proper room for the tongue forward from retropalatal and behind the tongue. So as a result of that, if you look at the you know, palate of the and jaw of the patient, and this is before, and you see that you know, this is the daytime x-ray and you could not see any airway, and this is what we developed later. Unfortunately, when we did the sleep study, his, his apnea completely managed, and still they're coming from Houston to Seattle to see us, and you know, uh, so one of the things that it was about this patient and Kelly, uh, you mentioned earlier, was a deep bite. This population of patient that they have deep bite is a multifactorial. When they clinch and grind because of a sleep apnea, that uh, caused the back teeth. They have stopped the occlusal planes of back teeth is like a stop, but the front teeth they don't have any stop. So when they are clincher and growing there, the front teeth kind of move and deepen the bite of the patient, but at the same time, back teeth, you know, so they can reduce the lower facial vertical height, but the deep bite that is creating 
the deep bite and lower anterior teeth hitting against the inclined planes of upper anterior teeth is going to distalize the uh, you know, lower jaw. And these are the population of patients that the occlusion, we call it, is more when they chew, is distalizing. Every time they chew, distalize and push the mandible back. And that is going to traumatize the joint of this patient. And the joint of the patient at this point is going to be traumatized. They're not going to complain about TMJ problem, but they are is going to develop the condition that is called osteochondrosis. Osteochondrosis is a slow down the growth of the condyles. And if the condyles of the patient start slowing down because of this split bite, then the mandible is not going to grow. So if we don't take care of this deep bite early enough, there is no way that the success for growing the lower jaw is going to be successful. So deep bite is one of the things that we need to you know, address. Now, the other concept is uh, uh, mouth breathing and what is this uh, side effect of mouth breathing. In the normal situation, when the mouth is closed, tongue is uh, the dentition and dental arches or sandwich between the pressure from inside from the tongue and from outside from boxinator muscles from outside. And there is an equilibrium that, you know, the pressure from inside from tongue should equal, you know, to the pressure from outside. Now, of course, this is multifactorial, but we know that the ones that are mouth breather and they cannot, uh, you know, breathe their nose and constantly the mouth is open, not only it can create the, uh, what we call, increase the chance of sleep apnea, but also the pressure of the cheek muscles and vaccinator muscles is going to push the upper jaw and make it a little bit narrower. And usually bilateral, but sometimes, you know, patient prefers one side, so they become, you know, uh, they develop crossbite. So crossbite is one of those red flags, Haley, that right away we need to address this. Because you see this little three-year-old uh, uh, patient that is referred by uh, one of our good, uh, uh, you know, great, uh, what we call uh, medullas and, you know, uh, what we call the feeding trainers that, you know, she understand this concept and then refer her, um, uh, you know, a grandchild for this problem because she saw that she's mouth breathing and she has this crossbite. And what is the crossbite, what it can do? The research done at University of Washington a long time ago uh, with the help of a group of, of course, uh, uh, orthodontic uh, residents under supervision of uh, Dr. Jundef. Uh, at the time, he was the chairman at the University of Washington uh, orthodontic department with Dr. Kennedy at British Columbia University. They noticed that patient that they have crossbite significantly on the side of the crossbite can impact the growth and development of the condyle on that side. And the condyle, early damage of the condyle, it can create significant facial asymmetry. As a result of that early treatment of this, how early? Age three. Age two, we need to correct this. And the, we developed this appliance is another form of apnodent um, uh, ex expander system. And you see that you know the uh, the crossbite is on the left side, although patient is biting, it shows that the crossbite is this. 
but is repositioning to the easier part. The crossbite of the patient is on the left side. So this, by attaching the front end, it creates maximum anchorage on this, uh, on the left, uh, on the right side of her mouth, and then very gradually with dental expansion of one turn, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, slowly we push the upper jaw out, upper teeth out, not jaw, upper teeth out, um, and then we make this unilateral crossbite to bilateral crossbite, and then we remove the anterior part of this. Now we are going to do the rapid palatal expansion. Now we are in orthopedic zone, and we are going to do the rapid, meaning that two turns a day, and you know, every day, and in matter of two or three weeks, we are going to expand the maxilla of the patient rapidly, and we are going to overexpand. You see that how the upper jaw is more expanded? Because we are overexpanding the palate or the tongue posture up on the roof of the mouth, and also at the same time, is the you know, nasal cavity is going to be expanded. The beauty of this expander is that after the expansion, now we are going to wait about three months. So the distraction that we did on the palate is going to solidify it, and that's, we call it consolidation for three months. So the bone is going to get consolidated and then very slowly, 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 we are going to um, you know, retract and re constrict the upper because the lower one is not the, she has also the lower expander. So this is the, you see that how we corrected the unilateral crossbite, then orthopedically expanded the upper. Unilateral crossbite, I recommend that we start with upper, make it bilateral, and then start the lower one. So at this stage, lower one is very, very slow, as I mentioned to you, one term, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then um, both upper and lower are expanded. But the lower one never can get to the extent of the correction of the upper because it's a dental expansion. Upper is orthopedic expand, expansion. So before removing the upper expander, we are going to, after three months consoli consolidation period, we are going to retract or constrict the dental. Again, now we, with this appliance, we can reverse this and then very slowly move the teeth, constrict them and bring them to the lower dental arch before removing the appliance. That's why the beauty of these uh, bonded expanders are versus the removable expander can work, depends on the cooperation of the patient. If patient two or three years old and cannot hold it in the mouth, so the bonded ones are better. And uh, you know, so then the arches are coordinated Nasal cavity is overcorrected, palate is corrected, but the dental arch is not too wide and doesn't create telescopic arch, what we call. Now, what we do with this patient, they're going to be under supervision. At this point, they can use the uh, myofunctional appliances at nighttime as a retainer, and you can see the, you know, how much expansion uh, of the you know, airway. And I need to emphasize that just having the airway large does not mean that the sleep apnea is gone. Uh, we need to understand based on the you know, research that it shows, patient can have a huge airway problem 
And the presence of that sterling mecha mechanics and mechanism that I mentioned to you, patient even with huge airway on the X-ray, they can have narrow nasal cavity and still develop a sleep apnea. So we send the patient for the sleep test and you know, eventually we notice that you know, sleep apnea is under control. This material, if um, audience are interested to read about this, is was published under the, the, what we call the concept that is teledontic telegenetic technology in the uh, is the in orthodontic product magazine and i believe it was march of 2021 uh, march of uh, 2022 this material was published um, now let's talk about this teledontic telegenetic uh, i mentioned to you the issue of that you know, the jaw of the patient is small and the lower jaw is small, the upper jaw is within normal limit. One of the things that, uh, if we can change the concept of the traditional orthodontics, uh, that, you know, the, uh, again, orthodontic is the most powerful area of dentistry to treat this population of patients. But then we need to understand the paradigm has changed now. At while, you know, while ago, we were thinking about just making the teeth straight and cosmetically. Now this is not just the function of the jaws, it's function of the airway. And anything that retract the teeth back, it can negatively impact the airway of the patient. Not on everybody, but that's an epigenetic factor if we have a restrictive uh, mechanics, meaning one of the things that we used to use in orthodontic, that was headgear, today is not used as much, but at the same time, we call it headgear effect, that don't use anything that has a headgear effect, pushing the upper jaw back to the lower one, maintain the upper jaw there, even grow it and develop it more away from the base of the skull to increase the airway volume. And then encourage the lower jaw also to grow weight long enough because the growth of the lower jaw sometimes follows the systemic growth curve and we need to wait longer so the lower jaw grow. So at this point, we corrected the transverse relationship. And in this concept, transverse one is first because establishing the nice airway. Now for the lower one, we wait and wait for the genetic influence of the uh, you know, uh, pattern of the patient, genetic influence that they have. Also, by removing the trauma from the condyles, they don't clinch and grind that much, so hopefully the mandible resume to grow normally. Now, there are a lot of concepts right now to describe this idea of non-restrictive orthodontics. So I know my good friend, and colleague, uh, Dr. Boyd has the concept that non-constrictive orthodontic, that's a great idea. Or Dr. Khan, another colleague of mine, he calls it forwardodontics, meaning that do anything that you do to advance the jaws forward is a great idea. So the concept that we adopted, it was not accidental because in 2019, a uh, group of scientists, uh, uh, actually it was the, uh, uh, 
the American Association of Orthodontic Meeting and group of scientists, including Dr. Gimino in 2019 gathered and they came up with the uh, white paper for the whole orthodontic community. In that white paper, they indicated that yes, sleep apnea is the problem of dentists, especially orthodontists, and orthodontists are the best, the best modality to treat this population of patients. In that white paper also, there was indicated that not everybody's jaw is going to get, grow normally and is a backup option. And that backup option is a surgical option, but is contrary to other orthogenetic surgeries. Meaning in this option, they do not bring the jaw of the patient back. They don't set the mandible back, but is the upper and lower jaw forward uh, surgery forward. And it's called telegenetic surgery. So the concept of the telegenetic, meaning that the type of orthogenetic surgery used for improvement of the airway, bring both jaws forward surgically has been there. The concept that, you know, uh, how develop the jaws has been always in our mind and we were working on that. In 2017, they asked me to present this material to a group of orthopedic uh, scientists and physicians because I was treating population of patients that they are obese, overweight, with significant pelvic problem, osteoarthritis of pelvic, lower back, and knees. So, and they were interested that how as orthodontists, I can bring the sleep apnea of this patient corrected and address when orthopedist is working with their, uh, uh, what we call uh, system for healing uh, stem cell technology, healing their knees and uh, lower back, osteoarthritis. That group, and in that presentation, I used the term that, you know, is telegenetic surgery. And there were a group of scientists also from John Hopkins University in that group. And right away, it kind of a uh, light bulb went on. And they came up with this, you know, and they invited me to write a chapter about this concept and in that chapter, we developed the term teledontic that goes hand in hand with telegenetic. Teledontic and telegenetic are non-restrictive orthodontic and orthogenetic procedures that everything is for expansion and growth of the dentition and jaws away from the base of the skull and practically non-restrictive orthodontic. The advantage of it, you start as early as possible. The instrumentation that has been developed can support this. And this concept was published uh, in the book that they, uh, uh, that was metabolic therapies in orthopedic. They asked me to write a chapter about this. And now it's becoming a book that hopefully soon. So the concept of teledontic, telegenetic, teledontic is different. And what we call is a, it's just different orthodontic that is try not bringing the teeth back, not pushing anything back and restoring the airway and functionality of the masticatory system and face. So when we look at this patient, for example, is a little bit older, the same concept is going to be orthopedic expansion of the palate and development of the uh, you know, lower dentition. So I'm gonna introduce another concept 
And earlier I mentioned that. So in our, the teledontic telegenetic approach or technology, transfers is first because with transfers, we can develop the nice nasal cavity, nice palate for the room inside the mouth, out of the airway for times. But then the mandible of this patient is small. So the traditional orthodontics, unfortunately, our orthodontists today, they are very, very intelligent about this. So they are a little bit more careful, not using appliances that they have what we call um, um, headgear effect. A lot of functional appliances that they're out there, not, so it's fine, it's bringing the lower jaw forward and they use it on a temporary basis for correction of the airway, they call it. But at the same time, another thing that American Association of Orthodontists did, they did a 10-year research project on all oral appliances. And that oral appliances, like herbs appliance, also is a functional appliance, is an orthodontic appliance. Uh, there are a lot of them, and I don't want to mention any other name because somebody developed those and I don't want to badmouth them. Herbs appliance has been there for a long, long time. Herbs appliance is something that they use it for managing a sleep apnea in adults, but it's a functional appliance that used for the children also. The research done uh, with orthodontics and published in American, uh, uh, the Journal of uh, American uh, Association of Orthodontics uh, showed that that type of appliances, they have some side effect. The side effect could be posterior open bite, anterior open bite, upper teeth are going to be retracted back because it has a orthopedic uh, and uh, it has a restrictive and uh, holds the maxilla there or bring the upper dentition back. And that's something that the group of us that we are treating the sleep apnea, um, you know, either is for wardodontics or you know, non-constrictive orthodontics or airway orthodontics, we don't appreciate those type of appliances in our system. So this patient is wearing the, another appliance that we developed is called Apnotin, which is a variety of Apnoden, which is the FDA clear. This appliance for adult is the FDA type two uh, medical device for managing a sleep apnea for children as a functional appliance is type one FDA clear medical device. So just growing, and this is the early uh, version of the uh, Apnotin. Again, is uh, generated made by uh, SML, uh, Space Maintainer Lab, and is type one medical device. And the advantage of it is that with the mechanosensory activation, stimulate the lower teeth, lower jaw position forward. Is not holding against upper teeth, holding against lower teeth, and hold the jaw forward because it can retract the upper teeth of the patient. So. And when we go with this, and we need to have patience because now we are following the uh, growth, uh, what we call capability or uh, genetic growth capacity of the patient. We don't retract. And then we are going to eliminate what is called uh, those trauma that is uh, uh, impacting the condylar growth. Remember, 
we manage that and bring that under control. Every night patient wears this about 11 to 12 hours, and they are going to wear this with Invisalign. So that's the beauty of it. So it means that they can wear this appliance. Patient is wearing Invisalign when they are wearing the apnotine starting age eight. So now we are going to wait for patient to grow. And depending that how fast they can grow, the airway is going to be enlarged because in the stage one of the treatment, we expanded the palate, tongue came forward, and airway is fine. The maxilla is not back. The mandible gradually, gradually grow back to normal. And this type of population of patient, based on my experience, now we have a good chance of 80 to 90% chance to get them out of the uh, you know, a condition that we call it class two skeletal, severe enough that needs any surgical or orthogenetic surgeries. So, and this patient, you see that it still has a tonsil because they refused to remove the tonsil. And this is a new research that shows that well, this population of patients, if we manage the sleep apnea and the sleep apnea is okay, and Dr. Yoon uh, at, uh, um, you know, from California, and Dr. Bacco and group of other uh, orthodontists, they just did their new research and showed that uh, if in this population of patients, we expand the maxilla and improve the airway of the patient, the tonsils and adenoids can shrink. So that's a good news. Patient doesn't want to have the uh, surgery. If we expand them non-surgical, then those tonsils and thing, the adenoids, they can shrink. So that's, you know, less surgery, the better it is. So she's growing, the mandible grows fine. This is another case. This is another variety of the appliance that is spring-loaded. Because one of the things that we need to be careful when we expand the upper jaw, the upper front teeth that they can retract back. And in philosophy of teledontics, we don't want anything restrictive and come back. So that's why this appliance, it helps to maintain the upper front teeth where they are. So the lip of the patient is not going to be compromised. Enlarge the airway without compromising the aesthetic of the patient. Still, we are in orthodontic zone. And orthodontic is, in the beginning, was initiated as a cosmetic uh, philosophy. Now we are bringing the concept of function of the masticatory system, airway system, or this whole systemic health to it. So, but we cannot neglect the cosmetic of the patient. At the end, teeth should look great. Profile of the patient should not be compromised because most of these expansions that they do, unfortunately, is not done right. And then the front teeth can retract back and create deficient. Uh, upper lip, and so this is another case, before and after. Now, earlier I talked about the epigenetic. So I'm gonna show this case to prove my, uh, you know, that not proving, but show that concept. This is a patient that um, unfortunately, when he was through the treatment, uh, he suffered from uh, restrictive orthodontic treatment. So not on everybody, but on this susceptible population of patients, we do not, we should be careful not using what we call restrictive orthodontic treatment. And this patient, 
had one of the forms of restrictive orthodontic treatment. They removed his uh, uh, first bicuspid and retracted everything back. He has AHI, severe sleep apnea, apnea hypopnea index of 80. But when he was growing also, he had had this um, problem of sleep apnea, clinching and grinding. His lower jaw is small. And then this is his son. His son also has the same epigenetic problem, meaning that he has genetically has good growth potential, but epigenetically because of a sleep apnea, clinching and grinding, creating trauma to his condyles every night and slowing down the growth of the mandible. Not only the mandible, as you know, I'm showing here, does not grow, but damaging it, it can uh, kind of create a retrusive position of the mandible and you know, um, mandible does not grow or actually after in adulthood can retract and creates damage. So, but what we call by encouraging the system, managing sleep apnea by early expansion of the jaws, that's why transfers for us and airway is number one, we can grow the, grow the jaw of this patient back to normal. Again, he has been wearing the apnotin uh, you know, during the, uh, after the expansion, uh, you know, you use the apnotin, waited long enough to grow the, the, grow the mandible. And I'm not going to emphasize if you can find any appliance, any functional appliance out there that is non-restrictive, does not have a headgear effect, doesn't bring upper jaw back, or to climb the lower teeth, this appliance the way that it does is gentle touch of the appliance with the lower incisal teeth activates the neuromuscular system. So it's a neuromuscular activation to bring the mandible forward. And this is the airway before and after. Now, and the good thing is that they go to college. Now they're smart. I show you some cases. Hopefully I need to go through this. And this is his brother. The same thing. And this is not just on one or two patients. The philosophy of this teledontic telegenetic is that we do the non-restrictive orthodontic, the upper jaw in significant number of population of patients, as Dr. Jim McNamara showed, and recently Dr. Bill Hang supported that idea, the upper jaw of the patient is normal, mostly. Dr. Mew also talked about this, and he was into developing the upper jaw of the patient and bring it forward. So if upper jaw is normal, especially in Caucasian patient, the lower jaw is small. So we encourage the growth of the lower jaw, but we need to have patience. So patient grow through the growth spurred and finalize the growth of the mandible before we finalize the treatment and don't jump in to bring the operative back to the lower teeth. So these are population of patients that you see that, but the, if the earlier we start, the better the you know, idea uh, is going to be and is unrelated to the race. These are different patients with different ethnic background that you see that it works, nasal cavity expanded and uh, the jaws they grow, depending on the capability and the capacity of their, because some uh, uh, different ethnic background, they have a smaller jaw, some they have a stronger jaw, 
So, but the goal is improving the airway of them, making the arches very wide, as Dr. Um, Bill Hang explained. So the tongue goes to the roof of the mouth. Dr. Mew also supported this idea, which initiated actually by Dr. Mew. And you see that these jaws actually, they grow tremendously. And it's not just Joseph Yusefian doing this. It is, you know, everybody, anybody that is capable to use these appliances and the right concept of this. Now, this doesn't work for everybody because sometimes we get the population of patient that is too late. So, The cons, the, we should have a back backup option. So it means that in pediatric treatment, early treatment, orthodontist needs to have a backup option. So, and the, the issue that I'm hearing often, they say that, okay, uh, the orthogenetic surgery is too drastic, is too, uh, too invasive. Well, let me show you the last two cases, then we are going to come back to this concept. This is a patient. The reason that I'm introducing this, you see that you know, he and his brother, they have severe crowding. As orthodontists, I learned, as soon as I see this, I said, hmm, well, there is not enough room, although we are educated enough that we know that we can expand the maxilla, but then mandible, what do you want to do about it? And one of the options, it was removing teeth to make the rest of the teeth, you know, uh, balance and arch form, okay. Now, but we have a problem with this case. Has a sleep apnea, dad has a sleep apnea, and dad, which is great aerospace scientist, very smart, an early age, mid, 50, uh, uh, late 50s, early 60s, developed one of the side effects and um, side effect of a sleep apnea, comorbidities of a sleep apnea, and that's stroke, which half of the body paralyzed. So if this patient has a sleep apnea and he's a genetic susceptibility to go to that route, we need to do everything possible to avoid using restrictive you know, technology. So as a result of that, we started expanding his palate so he's about age, uh, age 13, 14. Maxilla did not expand very well. So that's why you need to be ready to jump to the next one. And the next one is MSE. The MSE technique, which is maxillary skeletal expansion that we have developed, since is more calculated, it can control the, uh, what we call the unilateral or bilateral crossbites very well because one of the problems with MSE is uncontrolled movement of the teeth, because usually they put it in the palate, teeth, they don't have anything on them, and it can go unilateral or bilateral, I mean, unilateral crossbite. And when it goes unilateral crossbite, that's why some orthodontists are afraid of this, because in some susceptible population of patient, facial asymmetry, maxilla can happen, and it can impact the vision of the patient. They can develop double vision. So this system is more predictable. So not only we expanded his maxilla, also we expanded the mandible in uh, between uh, in the symphysial area. What is the advantage? If we expand the maxilla only, 
without the expansion of the uh, mandible, we cannot expand too much. But if we expand the mandible and expand the maxilla, we can double the expansion of the maxilla. I'm, I have a degree in anthropology and my master in M, uh, uh, MA is master in anthropology. I know and I did research on Adena Indians 2000 years ago living in Ohio Valley, Haley, next to Ohio State University. So in those Adena people, Indians, when you look at, I looked at the skull of this patient, they had huge mandibles and wide arches, all right? With those wide arches, I don't know how many Adena Indian uh, you know, people, they could suffer from sleep apnea. But anyway, we create this, expanded the jaws, look at the upper lip, see how supported it is, is not retracted. So, and this uh, technique, uh, expansion of the lower jaw, we call it DAME, distraction assisted nasomaxillary expansion. The upper one, uh, micro implant assisted nasomaxillary expansion, because we are not just expanding maxilla. So I don't call this just MSE, is the nasomaxillary expansion. Main or uh, the lower one, it is the DAME, distraction assisted mandibular expansion. And this is called telegonatic surgery. I invite everybody to look at this differently. We are in different paradigm. This is the airway environment. So we cannot stay with the old way of thinking. So the new way of thinking is that, okay, if white paper of American Association of Orthodontists introduced the concept of telegenetic brain maxilla forward, mandible forward to improve the airway, so any surgery that we do for expansion of the jaws, we should think about is another stage of telegenetic surgery. Telegenetic surgery, move the jaws to distance to open up the airway and jaws. So this is a telegenetic surgery, expansion of the mandible. Right. So how important is sleep apnea? Haley, earlier when we were talking about this, we talked about ADD, ADHD. Yeah. So let's talk about it. Why early treatment is important? Why supervision of this patient are important? So I want to show you two cases. This is a case that came to me, you know, and my dear one of the most knowledgeable colleagues, Dr. Norm Chang and his son, Ryan Chang, they referred this patient to me, 11, 12 years old. This is something that we see every day and used to see as orthodontists before. As orthodontists, we were looking at it differently than we are looking at it today. So the kid is bothering everybody, teasing assistance, going chair to chair, look at inside of other patient mouth and everybody's annoyed. When he's coming to the office, nobody wants work on him. But we did it, you know, but we did it orthodontically. Just use the two by four appliance, did not expand the mandible. And about the time that I was getting educated about the sleep apnea, he unfortunately disappeared. Very nice family, dad was supportive, but unfortunately, somehow they disappeared from treatment. And then he, and you know, this is after phase one, just two by four expansion. And he was, uh, you know, uh, no expander, just two by four, making the teeth straight. 
and he was missing a central here, a lateral tooth. So then suddenly he comes back at age 17, 18. The palate is narrow, the mandible is narrow, and at the time he had you know, severe sleep apnea, and severe sleep apnea meaning for 17-year-old, still AHI was 17 AHI, so it's severe, so he comes back. And something else is there. The reason that he was so mischievous and you know, uh, out of control, he had ADD, ADHD, it's not his fault. He's suffering from a sleep apnea and side effect of that is, you know, uh, it can be signs sign and symptoms of ADD, ADHD. Unfortunately, we lost the opportunity to treat him when the brain was doing this active growth and development. This is something that Dr. Gimino opened my mind to it, that early treatment of the, these cases, because you can reverse the ADD, ADHD. So when he came back, you know, again with the uh, DAME distraction as assisted mandibular expansion, we expanded the mandible as part of teledontics, telegenetic, opening the space, expanding the jaws away from the base of the skull. So it's necessary in order to expand the mandible, we put the tooth back as an implant. So we did that, expanded the uh, mandible, and then he had telegenetic surgery. So uh, the first one, which is expansion of the mandible, was stage one telegenetic surgery. Then we did the stage two, which was uh, stage two of telegenetic maxillomandibular advancement. Open up the space. In teledontics, we put the tooth back. We don't take the tooth out. So that way, expanded the palate, expanded the jaws, and his severe sleep apnea improved completely. Now, and then I was seeing him and then suddenly he disappeared. And um, we knew that at the time that he was, uh, I was seeing him, he was talking about being tired of his school. He was in the 10th or 11th grade. He was getting teased a lot, you know, because of his small jaw and, um, his classmates, they were not very kind to him. And unfortunately, we need to be aware of it. And I explained to you, you know, in the next case. So, you know, he just dropped out of the school. A lot of our dropouts from the school, they're not, they're, they're intelligent. But at the same time, this environment and the sleep apnea, there's something that creates for it, they cannot remember. They cannot apply their brain to full capability that they have. And then they get teased. And then they get what we call uh, pushed away. And they decide that, you know, this is too fast. I cannot catch up. I'm going to quit. So he quit school. And he was telling me that later he came one day and his hands, they were oily. And he said, I'm working at a mechanic shop. There is nothing wrong with it. Not everybody needs to pursue the, uh, what we call academic. You see that whole airway is large. And he came back 17, later, 17 years later, lost his retainer, he showed up and deceased his teeth 17 years later with no retainer. <laughs> so, and still is stable. The only regret that I have, 
I wish that we had the opportunity maybe to start earlier and finish him earlier to take care of the sleep apnea earlier because still his sleep apnea AHI is one, which is, doesn't have it. It's better than five is normal and this is better than this. So the early treatment is going to prevent this population of patients suffer from ADD, ADHD, that not everybody suffers so significantly from it, but impacts the life of some that they are susceptible, not everybody. And comes this case. Now I remember this, I learned my lesson. This comes a small jaw and is six, uh, is nine, uh, at the time was eight years old. This is a kid that when was growing up, had a lot of issues, you know, clinching, grinding, you know, and get tired of school fast, get tired of sport fast. I knew something is there. So I didn't do anything. The palette is white. Why do you want to expand this palette? It's white. Look at these spaces here. How do you want to, if you expand, what do you do with it? So we just wait. Waited, waited, didn't do anything. And of course, I'm nervous, but I know something else is there. So, but then the problem starts showing itself, meaning that school calls parents and say that, you know, we need to have the um, meeting. And they say that this kid is disruptive. First of all, he was A, B student, and now he gets to the point that C, D, once a while, F. So the teachers, they complain that he's disruptive to class. His grades are, you know, um, dropping. And they recommend that, um, you know, additional schooling, special schooling for him. And as you see, he's gaining weight a little bit. And he's getting teased. And at that point, still we don't know what is going on. And then suddenly he had a large tonsils. Then suddenly about age 12, 13, another problem with this population of patient comes. He becomes significantly obese. One third of population of uh, children in industrialized countries that unfortunately is very unhealthy diet, high calories. When they have a sleep apnea, the urge for eating fast sugary food sturdy food make them obese, overweight. And he was diagnosed with ADHD. They put the mark of ADHD. He had uh, uh, what we call acid reflex, metabolic syndrome, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, hypertension, which was the duplication of his grandpa at age 80. He had the same problems and died from heart attack. So now this becomes a emergency. He has severe sleep apnea, it's too late. We are not sure what to do. That's why you didn't do anything. Just wait and then at age 18, has a sleep apnea, we resume, didn't bring the upper jaw back. But the thing is one of the things that happened during these uh, three, four, five years of schooling and unfortunately, students, not to be mean, not understanding the concept, now he's start getting teased because of weight. 
because he's slowing down on his education, because he doesn't have good grades anymore, and and they are not very you know kind um, students, and just reminding him that why don't you don't think about the college, even the advisor of the school recommended to them that college is not a college material think about other work and that's why this population of patients are ready to snap and drop the school because they feel i'm behind and i can't i cannot catch up so they are going to drop off of this you know uh, escalator that is going fast it's like a, when you go to airport and people they get on this you know, walking escalator that is, you know, making the people going fast and some cannot catch up and they go backward and get out of the schooling system. He hated the school, he hated uh, um, education and sport. He was not happy about his body going swimming. So that's how the decline happened. They broke his heart. So, and that comes, you know, we did the surgery, the sleep apnea is gone. The issues of the RD, ADD, ADHD now is subsided. But one thing that was hurt the most was emotionally was hurt. And they dictated in his mind that if you are getting the low grade, it's not because you don't remember because of a sleep apnea, because you are not smart. So they hacked in his mind that he's not smart. And that part was hard to bring it back. He was brainwashed that you're not going to succeed. And I'm telling you, based on my experience and literature shows, one third of population of youth in industrialized countries that they suffer from this problem, they, they build up the majority of those drop out, you know, drop out students from the school. So we shouldn't leave them alone. There is a reason for it. And a sleep apnea could be one of them. So, well, correction of the sleep apnea improved it. The guy becomes very, very smart, actually too smart. He goes to the college that they told him, don't go. You're, you're not able to go. He, he just didn't listen to it. And of course, his parents also, they told him that he's wrong, especially his dad. Anyway, corrected this. He got a scholarship at the school. He went to university. He did very well. And uh, he now he has his businessman and a startup company. His sleep apnea is fine. And since we did start early and stay with the case and manage his sleep apnea and treat it, this population of patients, they can reverse the course of their life and become successful. They can change their starts. That other hand is going to go downward. And now he's a very, very successful businessman. And he's my son. And I'm so proud of it. And I try not to cry. Every time that I present this case, it just breaks my heart when my Ryan was growing and how much he suffered. So, Haley. <laughs> well, he Any has questions? you to thank. Yeah, he's got you to thank because. It's an incredible story and, you know, it's, it's actually a story that we're hearing more and more of. And you, you talked a lot about the psychosocial impact on children and it's, you know, there's a lot of focus, I think, on the impact when children are in their first seven years of life and how, you know, the brain is 
so easily molded, but it, it goes way beyond that. It, it goes into early adulthood when people are still so impacted by external input and, you know, hearing what others say to you. And I mean, I, I myself with ADHD, I did manage pretty well through most of school until I got to college. And when I got to college, it kind of all fell apart. I went and I got tested. They said, oh, well, you have a high IQ, but, you know, so we're not going to put ADD on your medical records, but you have ADD. So here's a riddle in prescription. And I was like, how does that help me? So I took it. I got through grad school, you know, undergrad, grad school. My grades were great. I hated the stuff. And, you know, nobody looked at my airway. I went for my own sleep studies. Nothing came back positive. You know, everything was like, oh, you're fine. You're fine. Until I fell deeper into this space and learned about UARS and got diagnosed with that. And, you know, the rest is history. But, you know, I, I thank you for sharing his case and your experience and everything that you've learned from it, because, you know, we can see your passion behind it. I'm sure that it's extremely rewarding to be able to share this case, what you've learned, um, and even the vulnerabilities of being a parent and going through all of this with your own child. It's, it's incredibly touching and moving. And um, thank you for, you know, for sharing us. And thank you, Ryan, for letting your father share your story, because I think it really helps so many more people than you you'll ever probably realize in your life. My pleasure. Yeah, that was a great opportunity. And you know what? Not we had bigger. I think that this is this is something that you know, uh, Haley. That is a pandemic. Mm-hmm. We have a big pandemic. That unfortunately, this pandemic of the um, you know coronavirus uh, masked it completely. The sleep apnea. You know that is a pandemic because of the evolution of the face of the humans. The jaws are getting smaller. Now we have, we need to have an army of people and this army of the people or clinicians start with mom and pop that they need to be educated. Uh, My functional therapist or the feeding specialist and coach, these are all they need to be part of this team. So the book that is going to come out about teledontic, telegenetic, uh, you know, is going to be for Population of the army of the uh, you know nutritionist, uh, obstetrician, uh, uh, feeding uh, coach, and myofunctional therapist, orthodontist. These all they need to work together and then fight this enemy that is as a pandemic is impacting the human growth and development. Absolutely, and I love that we we promote a major collaborative effort because that's really what it takes, especially with these cases and these individuals that we all treat. So absolutely. And thank you. Thank you so thank much you for your much. time. I appreciate and it. Thank you very much for the um, opportunity. We'll put it in the show notes and everything, but, you know, tell us where they can find you, where they can reach you. You mentioned the book. Where can they find that? Will that be on your website? Tell us about that for a yes, second. There is a website about teledontics. They can go on that. And hopefully the book is coming because the book is going to present uh, actual cases. So each chapter is presenting a finished case, treated case. That's why it has been a little bit longer. COVID kind of pushed it back a little bit. Patient, they don't show up for their appointments. So we are waiting for the last few patients to finish them. And then the book is going to be coming hopefully, hopefully in 2023. <laughs> Fabulous. Well, we know we can go to dryusefian.com to find you. Again, that'll be in the show notes. And Keep us posted on when the book comes out so we can share that with everybody. And and thank you guys. Thank you and uh, your son for sharing his case. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Haley, for the opportunity. Take care. Have a nice day. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these Mayo Tots airway and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the untethered podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Hallie Balkan Biz, on Instagram at, at Hallie Balkan. And you can head over to the untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes um, where you can also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. 